You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey y'all, it's the Pimp Cron. This is Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. Uh, we uh, cater to casual and fluff gamers, and we try to ignite the flame of a hobby in all y'all. You know what I mean? Uh, so, this is the Pimcron, and that is not actually how I talk. Well, it's kind of how I talk, but anyway, the um, this is the Pimcron Warhammer podcast, and I am the Pimcron, and I assume you assumed all that to begin with because you clicked download on this episode. So, tonight, as always, as promised, as you expect, we have a lot of things to cover. So, in no particular order, we're going to be covering a... Uh, well, here's an idea. Is GW going through my trash? That should pique your interest. And <laughs> and we have a Tesseract mailbox featuring a... What is this? A Patreon patron. Grendel. Excellent. He writes in with his one of his worst uh, gaming store stories. It is quite a hoot. And, um, you know, I didn't think I could hear a gaming store that was worse than the ones that we've been to, but there are several elements of his gaming store story that are actually worse. So it's quite a treat. We also have a uh, Want That or Want That Not starring just myself, where I, I almost said we, me and my Venom symbiote discuss the Vigilus sneak peeks, and I'm not actually, I'm breaking format because I don't have a co-host on that segment, and I just wanted to geek out on all the stuff they're releasing. It's crazy time. It's sexy time. And following all that, we have a roundtable discussion with Mr. Matt, the uh, radio uh, premiere. I guess it'd be radio premiere. Uh, the first appearance of Mr. Matt. So all of you collectors out there, in a hundred years, you can tell your kids that you downloaded the episode, the collector's edition, the first appearance of Mr. Matt on the Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast. And Mr. Matt is a dear friend of mine, and he is uh, a huge help on Shorehammer. He helps every year. He dedicates all kinds of time uh, to painting terrain and things like that. So he's a really good guy. If you see him, hit him in the nuts. Other than that, he's a cool guy. So Mr. Matt and Loremaster Alex and I talk about just GW past and present. You know, what our experiences were and how their attitude changes over time and where we think they're going to go in the future. And we're going to top all of this off with a getting brutal with the Pimpcron, where we actually return back to the lore because we've been taking a hiatus for a while and talking about, you know, um, craft ideas for brutality and talking about Ishtar in the real world and um, all that nonsense. So we're actually going to start exploring the um, first supplement that we came out with, which is called the Wastes. And it has a really, a lot of really cool stuff in it. So I'm excited to talk about it. But, you know, that's not all. This is dangerously close to Shorehammer. And I am extremely excited about Shorehammer. I am so, so very excited. And I, uh, we have, at the time of this um, posting on Monday, the 26th of November, it is going to be at the end of this week when you hear this. And it will be, um, of course, in Ocean City, Maryland. It's the Shorehammer uh, convention and it's mostly Warhammer. We also have an X-Wing tournament. We also have a Brutality tournament and um, uh, we do other stuff too. So, But we have a Age of Sigmar Grand tournament and a Narrative 40k battle and two other 40k a Highlander tournament, a Danger Zone tournament. 
we get all kinds of stuff. We have um, RPGs people run. Uh, we have an RPG DM that runs pickup games for people, which is pretty cool. And we have board games, and we have vendors, and yada, yada, yada. You hear me whore out Shorehammer pretty much every week. Now, of course, um, next week possibly may be delayed, the episode, uh, because, dude, you have no idea, no idea at all. Like, have you ever planned a party, just like a birthday party? And if you can imagine, like, would you have six people over, 12 people over, whatever, um, and this is not a brag, by the way, I'm just explaining that there is an immense amount of back, uh, back door, um, back stage, uh, backstage, I guess, backstage work that goes behind running a convention and trying to organize it. Just the sheer number of people that want to change their order or they mess up their order or they want to transfer their ticket to somebody else or they, whatever, you know, oh, I click this. I wanted to click that, whatever. That is a full-time job alone. Not to mention everybody is submitting their lists. You need to submit your list prior to the event. And we do not sell tickets at the door. So if you plan on coming, you need to buy your ticket now, my friend. Because we will stop the uh, the tournament. The <coughs> The convention starts on the 30th of November. And um, tickets go off sale on the 29th, the night before. It was the night before Shorehammer. And all the tickets were closed. So you need to get your shit together if you're coming over here. I'm telling you right now. Uh, it is an absolute blast um, for any of you who have been drunk and maybe tasted a bit of a speedball and were having sex while they played Warhammer. That is about 50% of how awesome and fun Shorehammer is. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. That is also not a brag. That is scientific fact. That is science. OK, you cannot defy science. So basically, if you're saying that Shorehammer is not that fun, then you clearly weren't here. So, have I ever been known to lie to you or exaggerate? Never. Never, ever in the 400 years I've lived. All right? So, I guess that's enough of that. So, this, of course, is the first year that we are doing the Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast, and I'm doing the Shorehammer event. So... I'm not certain how this is going to go because normally I, you know, compile these, I edit them and all that over the weekend and post them and schedule them for Monday morning at 3 a.m. Standard Time, U.S. Standard Time for our European listeners so they can get it, you know, reasonably uh, timed during their day. And uh, I guess amidst all the other things I'm going to do before Shorehammer, I suppose I will try to make next week's podcast, assemble it, and schedule it for next Monday, because I gotta tell you, me and my brother, my, um, technology, head of, head of technology, okay, um, we'll call him Brew Brew, because that's what, uh, my children call him, that's their nickname, his name's Brooks, um, but they call him Brew Brew, um, Brew Brew and I are, uh, are up for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Shorehammer, and Friday and Saturday is I am up at 6 a.m. and I go to bed usually like 1 o'clock every night. So we are freaking exhausted by the time that all this is over. But it is such a blast. It's so worth doing. So I definitely will not have any time this weekend to make next week's episode. So it may come out Tuesday or uh, hopefully I can get my act together because pretty much I plan the hell out of Shorehammer. So pretty much everything's done. I'm just like running off, you know, tournament slips, like for scores and little things, buying masking tape and Sharpies and little bullshit things. So hopefully I'm done. 
and I will have enough time for the podcast to come out on Monday morning at 3 a.m. for all of your Europeans, and uh, hopefully that will uh, go out well. But I can't make any promises. Otherwise, starting the following week, absolutely Monday at 3 a.m., you know the Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast will be waiting for you. And we will have, um, we're going to be having a panel this year at Shorehammer. And boy, I'm just rambling. I apologize. We're going to have a panel this year at Shorehammer where people are going to be on the Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast. We'll have a live studio audience. And anytime, like, Loremaster and I kiss or something, we'll have people go, woo, you know. Or I'll diss uh, Just James and they'll go, ooh, you know, that sort of thing. We might even throw an Arsenio Hall, you know, ooh, 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 sort of thing in the background. I don't know. We'll do it. We'll, we'll play with the crowd. But. Um, so that will be either, well, it certainly won't be this episode. So you're going to have to wait until the following week for the recap episode of Shorehammer. We'll get a lot of interviews. We'll talk to people. It'll be a lot of fun. And I am totally in my element. I love hanging out with people. I love communicating and sharing, you know, the experience with everybody. I've made so many friends. I made a, fr- uh, a new friend, Brandon. I've made friends last year, like Max and Jason and Sean and Jared and Mike and uh, all the gang from... Uh, Burke's um, Wargaming and, you know, all that. The previous years, I met all the Tabor Wargamer guys and, uh, you know, Andy and Christopher and other Andy and um, all that. So I've just I've made so many friends doing this convention. And this is why, honestly, for me, it is another uh, holiday. Like, I love Shorehammer. I think about it all year long. We're planning for it all year long. Every year is bigger and better. And I guess I'll get off my soapbox now. But honestly, it is from the heart. I am so excited for it. So, anyway, I will let you all go, and uh, let's get the show on the road, as I often say, but hate saying it, because that's my go-to phrase. But you know what? It's basically my catchphrase now, kind of like, crack an egg on it. Caca! That's my new catchphrase. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. You know what time it is. You know who you're talking to. This is the Pimpcron, and this is another Tesseract Mailbox. Today, we have a letter from a patron, a Patreon, man, I can't even say that word, patron on Patreon. And hark the herald angels sang. So, the letter is from Grendel, who is one of our Patreon patrons. Good God, I can't say that phrase. And he wanted to chime in on one of uh, his worst stories about one of the uh, stores that he used to play in. And it's a pretty funny story. So I'm, I'm excited for you to hear it. Uh, now that we're on the gravy train of, of taking the piss out of uh, uh, shitty gaming stores. So he writes, hey, Pimpcron, back in the day, way back when Mage Knight was big, this is going on 20 years ago. We had a local shop where they held magic tournaments and Mage Knight tournaments. I hated going there, but these tournaments were the only way to get special limited edition figures, so I went. Um, the first impression of the store was that you were in a hoarder's home, not a comic-slash-game store. And uh, <laughs> store number three was like that for us, so I, I, I feel ya. Um, there were stacks of books, games, figures, Pokemon plushies all over the place. You had to walk sideways to get through the crap all piled up, or else you risked an avalanche. They also allowed smoking in the store. What? They allowed smoking in a bookstore? They allowed smoking in the store, so there was a nice (laughs) yellow film on everything. Oh, good God. I would not want to buy a comic book or a Pokemon plushie. A, I'm not buying a Pokemon plushie to begin with, okay? Maybe for my kids. 
not for personal use. But B, I am certainly not doing a Pokemon plushie that has smoked two packs a day for 20 years. I'm not doing that either. So once you made it through the hoarder maze, you got to the gaming tables. This room had maybe four tables, mostly stained with various beverages or other fluids. <laughs> All right. I'd, I can only speculate what those other fluids may be. Each table had four or so chairs, but on average, only one was not broken in some way. It was a mess. They had some felt cutouts to use as terrain. Oh my god, Grendel, that brings back memories, because our game store number one, the very bulk of his terrain was cutout felt. Like, oh, this brown cutout felt is a swamp. Oh, this green cutout felt is is woods. Um, that's That's crappy. So... Uh, we had to run the tournaments ourselves. They would pair us and say go. Any rule question that came up usually came to me. I am still that guy in most cases. Uh, for us, that would be just James. Because he knows the rules better than everyone else. But um, uh, that's pretty funny that you're the just James of your group. And at the end, they made you buy a couple boxes of the game, uh, even in a constructed tournament. They handed out the special limited edition to the winner, and the rest got nothing. Wow, this is... This is kind of depressing. In the end, Mage Knight went away, and I finally caved into playing 40k in a much better store. I have stories about a bunch of other places since I've moved around a lot the last few years, but this by far was the worst store I have been in. Yeah, this sounds pretty shitty, Grendel. I have to admit that that sounds pretty bad. Um, I have never been in a store that allowed smoking. So number one, I don't care if you're a smoker or not. Dude, that sucks to be secondhand smoke in there. Do you remember... Back in my day, do you remember when restaurants allowed smoking? And even though you were, like, in the non-smoking section, you still smelled like an ashtray when you got out? And, dude, I don't care if anybody smokes, but I don't really want to, like, have 40 people smoking in the same room as me at the same time. I'm just not. It's not a speakeasy. We're not running rum. Like, it's just, we don't need to do that anymore. And um, he closes this out with saying, oh, I almost forgot. They also had anime for sale in a back room past the game room. It was not your happy PG anime either, if you know what I mean. I never saw anything, but there was a weird smell coming from that room. Dear God. So you basically had a smoking allowing, uh, manage your own tournament, you dumb piece of shit, kind of uh, porn selling game store that hoarded things. That does sound like a nightmare, and you titled this Game Store Nightmares, which also pleases me to great <laughs> to no end. So, uh, he said, have a great one, Grendel. So, thank you very much for writing in, Grendel. I truly appreciate it, and I truly appreciate um, the uh, um, supporting us on Patreon. And as promised, as promised all patrons, I will be sending uh, a vial of my blood to you in the mail. Just write down your address, and I will send it. Uh, you could use it however you'd like, summon a demon, uh, use it for transfusion, uh, ferment it and drink it, maybe? Hmm? Uh, of course, all that's a joke. But um, I don't just send out blood. you got to pay for that. But anyway, thank you for writing, uh, Grendel. I really do appreciate it. And that does sound like an awful store. So I'm glad you took up our suggestion that if you have any crazy-ass stores that you have been to that were just awful please, please write in to facebook.com slash pimpcron. You can message me or you can write us in at gmail.com. I mean, at gmail.com. I'm an idiot. Pimpcron at gmail.com, which is where this message came from. Once again, thank you, Grendel, and it's good to hear from you. Want that or want that not? 
Hey guys and gals, it's the Pimpcron, and this is a want that or want that not, and my god, where is everybody? I'm usually joined by uh, Cronet, or Cron Jr., or Just James, or Loremaster Alex. Well, I think I'm all alone. Well, you know what, then it seems like a good idea to break format. So, instead of just going through one model or one set of models tonight, I wanted to explore a couple things that just had me calling my doctor because it lasted longer than four hours, okay? First of all, the Warhammer community on uh, November 24th had the uh, Vigilus Open Day, which, okay, I'm going to be frank with you, I have no idea what that is, and I really don't care. Some sort of Games Day thing. I don't live in Britain. I just, I don't follow any of this stuff. But what I do follow is Gene Stealer Cult, and I'm extremely excited for the things that I saw for Gene Stealer Cult. Now, I imagine, because of my love of Gene Stealer Cult, that they we will be covering these actual box sets when they come out, because uh, it's a little secret of mine. I've never mentioned it before. I love Gene Stealer Cult. So, first of all, there's the dude, you know, the rumor engine that they had where it was the, um, the actual Google Maps version of the GW headquarters, which is pretty awesome, uh, Warhammer World. And there's some sort of um, planning person. They, I don't think they ever said exactly who he is, but I'm hoping that he is a, uh, not a, hold on a second. Is it Acolyte? Neophyte. I hope he's a Neophyte uh, HQ, which would just be awesome if he plans things or calls orbital bombardments or, or whatever. Um, I would love to see a little bit more of this uh, Imperial Guard added to the Gene Stealer cult, which is, it's seemingly what we're getting because he's got a, like a field radio in his hand. And he's looking down at this, and I'm just, uh, I can't even express in words how excited I am for this model. I don't even know what he does. I have no idea what his points are. Uh, I don't even know. But I love it. I absolutely love it. Which brings me to the next thing that they announced. Something that I also absolutely love, and it has hugely inspired me. I have never been, like, a big rock and roll person. I've never really big been big into the 80s, even though I'm an 80s baby. I just never really got into that, but goodness gracious, when they release the new Noise Marine sneak peek, that thing is gorgeous, and it makes me want to start painting leopard print. Like, it's just, I mean, the zebra stripe on the helmet, the rainbow hair, the uh, the leopard print on the pants, which of course I'm partial to leopard print, um, he could have used a little more uh, purple, but whatever. And the idea that he's literally just, he's got a bolter strapped to the bottom of a guitar, it's just... It just screams awesome, and I hate to be sitting here gushing, but it's just, it is such a rad model. Now, unfortunately, it appears to me that this is a, a special issue model, you know, there's probably just going to be him that's made, but it really, really made me start thinking that, geez, I would love to do an army that was, see, I already have a Chaos Space Marine army, so, you know, it's not, I'm not going to go ahead and make an entire noise Marine army just based off this guy, but... Man, that's tempting, because just the, the colors on him, the rainbow of colors and the the don't give a shit about color uh, composition attitude is just, it's refreshing, it screams the 80s, and, you know, it's just it's just awesome. So I, I definitely, so far, it's two definite want-thats. Definitely want this um, neophyte leader of some sort for Gene Sir Cult, and definitely want the Noise Marine. Because he just screams the 80s, and suddenly, I'm okay with the 80s. I just am. Now, what I will probably end up doing is buying this model 
probably taking his helmet off and using him in brutality because I already have a uh, Dazzler, the ultimate Dazzler hero click, and uh, she's got a microphone and a guitar. And I was thinking about making a whacked out 80s rock band, war band, where they're using music as a weapon. So I'll probably end up doing that if I can, you know, scrounge up five or six models, buy some bits, buy some guitars, whatever, and make some really badass looking thing. You know, maybe a guy with subwoofers on his back or something. That would be, that'd be pretty cool. But anyway, this model I'm, I have to get. It's just a auto take. There's some Marnius Calgar, whatever, and that's a no-go for me. Number one, I've never been a Marnius fan and it's just an updated model. I mean, you know, if, if, if you're into that sort of thing, then that's great. But looks like he's more of a Primaris lieutenant. I know of other people have said that, but it's true. He's basically, now that um, Rabute is back, then he basically is just a Primaris lieutenant. And uh, so that's a cool sculpt. Glad he grew a little bit. Um, there's some Chaos dude that totally doesn't interest me. But the next thing that I'm going to come to, and I mean that both ways, is... Gene Steeler cult models again and I see an ATV with a mining laser on it and he's holding demolition charge and my heart I think it just stopped honestly I never knew I wanted a 28 millimeter uh, ATV with a mining laser on it until I saw this this is just it warms my heart I, I'm I, I've got all kinds of bodily functions going on that I just can't handle right now and not to mention the ATV, which is a heavy weapons platform, apparently. He's like kind of like a Sentinel, I'm assuming, something. You know, a Toughness 4 Sentinel. <laughs> um, but they also have bikers. And these bikers seem to have a lot of options. Of course, we won't know until the actual boxes come out. But there's one with a shotgun. There's one with a sniper rifle. There's one with some sort of axe or hammer. And he's doing a freaking wheelie. I mean, I'm just... I am in love. This is love at first sight, people. And I, like I said, I hate to just be this fanboy gushing about these models, but honestly, I have not been this excited. Usually, you know, I don't follow rumors. I don't follow sneak peeks. I totally don't give a crap about any of that. I just don't. And it's weird because I write for Bill of Lost Souls, and that's their whole shtick, and everyone's always coming up to me going, hey, Pimpcron, did you hear about the blah, 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 blah? And I'm like, nope, I didn't. Don't really care. So I'll wait till the box comes out, and then I'll decide if I like it or not. But these things have stolen my heart. If that ATV costs $250, I'm just going to have to apologize to my wife. That's just what's going to happen. And if these bikers cost a thousand, uh, looks like I'm going to spend about two grand in bikers. So I just wanted to show that these have been knocked out of the park, in my opinion. They're gorgeous models. They bring something new to the game, which ATVs are a new thing. And real dirt bike looking motorcycle you know like all of our bikers in this game have giant you know SUV tires and they, they I mean they're motorcycles but they don't really look like motorcycles these guys they look like they are freaking motorcycles and I'm just I am just excited so and there's a Karnak model which I don't care about a Titan that I yawned I just don't really care about any of that stuff but this, other than that, was knocked out of the park, and I congratulate GW on getting my excitement up for some new releases, and I can taste that Gene Steeler Cult Codex right now. Now, here's an idea. Welcome to another edition of Well, Here's an Idea, and good grief, I am all alone again. Well, guess what? I have something to uh, share with you, 
This is me delving into my spiraling paranoia and conspiracy theories. The question today is, well, here's an idea. Does GW read my stuff? Does GW read my mail? Is my phone tapped by GW? Does GW check my septic tank to see how I've been eating? I don't know. But there's been a lot of interesting things happening that um, I just want to point out. And of course, honestly, this is all in joke, okay? I, I know GW's not bothering with me, but there's a lot of things that... Um, I don't know how this is going to come off. This might come off as me bragging. This might come off as me um, actually claiming they're ripping off me, which clearly they're, they're not. They don't care about me at all. Um, I don't know how it's going to come off, but here's an idea. People share ideas at the same time. And what I mean by that is, is when I did, um, so it got me thinking that these new models they were releasing for, they just leaked for the uh, Vigilus Open Day or whatever it was called, are Gene Steeler Cult members on motorcycles. And it's pretty interesting that back when uh, Death Watch Overkill, the board game, came out, what, three years ago, something like that, um, I absolutely fell in love with the Gene Steeler cult. And this is just like a little anecdotal story. I'm not actually accusing them of anything, just to be clear. But I made my own codex for Gene Steeler cult for use in 40K because at the time... They, um, the, apparently, now this might be apocryphal, I don't know, that apparently as the story goes, they had no idea that, um, Death Watch Overkill was going to sell so many copies because of the Gene Stealer Cult, and they decided that, like, to hurry up and make a Gene Stealer Cult codex because of the popularity of that set. They supposedly, you know, word on the street, um, said that they had no idea that it was going to pick up like that and they had to hurry up and push a codex out. And that's why, you know, I mean, there's, there's quite a few good unit options, honestly, for a new army. Gene Steeler Cult has plenty, but they, um, they kind of pushed it out using only the models from the board game. And so at the time before they came out with a codex and it took them like six months or so, or eight months to come out with a codex. Actually, it was like eight months, um, because Death Watch Overkill came out in the winter and Gene Steeler Cult came out in like September. But anyway, there was no rumors or anything for Gene Steeler Cult, so I decided, um, I have a friend, uh, Robert, and he's part of Fandex, as well, he's the owner of Fandex, which is a really cool website if you ever want to check it out, and they make uh, custom codexes, they change rules, they change formats for Warhammer, um, they add a lot of Warhammer Fantasy Battle armies into 40k, so they're playable factions and things like that. He does a lot of really cool stuff. I've known him for a long time, and... Uh, he just, uh, I've used a bunch of his codexes and his Rebel Grotz codex and other things, his Arbitus codex we've tried, and it's it's really cool. But anyway, so I'm in, kind of into that whole thing, and my friends, luckily, uh, the type of gaming group that we had would allow me to, you know, play a completely custom army where, you know, I would take the points from Guardsmen, but then, um, like, all of my people were kind of like, uh, 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 accolade hybrids? Yeah, accolade hybrids. The ones with the rending claws, because I paid for guardsman points, but then I paid for rending claw points and added them, and then, you know, gave them more attacks and whatever. I did my very best to balance this codex that I made eight months before the Gene Sealer Call Codex was even, you know, rumored or came out or whatever. So I had no idea they were going to do this. But I painstakingly, for about a month, took the time to write my own Gene Sealer co Codex. 
and I don't think I ever published it online or anything like that. So there's no way GW could have ever seen this. And like I said, they don't give a crap about me. So this is not me bragging. But there's a lot of strange similarities between what my codex was and what their codex is. So first of all, I had basically um, humans with rending claws and things like that as my guardsmen. And they basically did that with um, acolytes, you know, and um, things like that, which is interesting. Another big thing, which it may not seem like as big of a deal now in 8th edition, but this was back in 7th edition, is that I basically had the exact cult ambush table where I would roll for each unit. And um, now it wasn't as well developed as theirs where, you know, an HQ can attach to a unit and they go together and all that. But I did have like, you know, on like a three up, you could um, put them anywhere on the board and, um, uh, you know, we, we would have to deep strike at the time. There was no, you know, not within nine inches or whatever. So um, I had to deep strike all of my people. But if I rolled low on it, then they would just come off a board edge or whatever. And um, it was pretty cool. Like if I actually rolled a six, they would deep strike and not scatter, which was a big deal. And then they could assault afterwards and whatnot. So when their codex actually came out and it had extremely similar rules than what I had, I was like, oh, that's... That's pretty cool. Maybe we're on the same wavelength or something. And um, now I didn't have anything for hybrid metamorphs, but um, uh, the funny thing is, is I did have uh, um, bikers. So I had deviated from the whole uh, Death Watch overkill thing, and I had actually bought. There's some sort of um, game. It's a British-based game. It's called Roadkill or something like that. And they're all metal models, but they're metal models of bikers or road rash or overkill or some sort of pun, I think. And they've got all these bikers and they've got like guns and whatnot on their motorcycles. And they're like carrying chains and whips and whatnot. And they're pretty cool looking. And I was in the process when the gene, the first gene sealer cult codex came out, I was in the process of actually building this unit of bikers and I was going to make them really fast, but really, you know, weak toughness four or whatever, because they're on a bike instead of toughness three. And, um, you know, they were going to have guns and you could also equip them, um, close combat oriented or whatever else. And lo and behold, now, you know, three years later, it's very strange. Um, I ended up abandoning my codex when the real gene Seer cult codex came out. I just abandoned it. But it's very interesting to me that not only did I have the cult ambush table very, very similar to what theirs was, but I also had basically scout bikers that were ranged or close combat attack, which is pretty strange now that we just have this Vigilus release where there's close combat or ranged bikers. And um, they got a sniper rifle, so I'm assuming there's some sort of scout position. So... It's just weird. You read these stories about people like inventing the same thing at the same time. Like, and it, it happens like, God, there's probably at least half a dozen times where somebody made something that was revolutionary and, you know, groundbreaking, like, let's say in Japan. And at the same exact time, they invent the same thing in Europe. And it's somebody completely unrelated to that person. And it's weird because I feel sometimes like people that are trying to be creative or whatever. Um, sometimes you just run on the same, same wavelength and I hope this doesn't come off as me bragging because it, uh, there's nothing to brag about, honestly, but I just think it was really weird that, you know, guard guardsmen, sure they have rough riders, but they do not have motorcycles and honestly, no other armor uh, army except for orcs have motorcycles. Motorcycles are not really a thing in this game yet. I gave my gene sealer cult, um, regular motorcycles 
and then they give their Gene Steeler cult motorcycles, and I make this some sort of cult ambush, you know, like, um, I was calling it the uh, insurgents table is what I called it, because I was fashioning after, you know, like the um, just insurgents and military operations where they can be anywhere, they can be behind, you know, closed doors, or they can be behind a corner or whatever, and it's weird that six months later when they came out with their codex, it has a very similar mechanic. So, um, there's, I'm just, I don't know really what my point behind saying this is, <laughs> but it's just really neat to me that something that I came up with, clearly somebody else came up with in a similar time for one of my very favorite armies. So it's neat because in a way I do have, you know, I abandoned my fan codex, but on the other hand, it's kind of still being made in the way that I wanted it to be made. So that's pretty cool. And that's why I got a, an instant, um, whatever you want to call it when, um, instant excitement when these bikers were shown, because that is just totally up my alley. So the, well, here's an idea for today is here's an idea. I should start locking my trash cans so they can't root through my trash. Toodles. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. Hello, everyone. This is Real Talk with the Pimp Cron, and today I have two of my friends with me. Number one is the man who is caressing my inner thigh, Lore Master Alex. Hey, guys. And to my right is Mr. Matt. Hi. All right. So today we wanted to discuss um, how what our opinions are on the past, present, and future of GW, how they have changed from our perspective and from what we've seen in all of our years of playing. Um, now, none of us started with Rogue Trader, but we will do a quick rundown of where we started. So, Loremaster Alex, would you like to begin with, tell us what edition you started with 40K and with Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Well, with 40K, I started in the third edition. Um, I started playing, I think it was Tau in third edition. When they had just came out, yeah. Uh, after that, I switched over to uh, you know fourth edition. I started playing Space Marines again, and then now at the new edition, I'm playing Imperial Guard. Um, <laughs> but so with Fantasy though, I think I was in fifth edition because they still had softback uh, codexes then, and I was playing Dwarves. Okay, um, I started in 40k as my main game. I started in fifth edition, about midway of fifth edition. I think I played a year or two before sixth edition came, and um, uh, I never really played uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles that much. I tried the game, and it was too similar to 40k, yet too different, and I was afraid I'd confuse the rules. So that was during what eighth edition? What was the last edition of Fantasy? Eighth? I want to say eighth. Yeah, yeah, eighth, seventh. Eighth. Because there's ninth age now, so okay, so eighth yeah. edition. Um, I dabbled in it just a little bit and didn't play much of it. So, Mr. Matt, um, I actually started in Warhammer Fantasy, I think back in 2000, which would have been sixth edition. Um, and then I didn't get into 40k until later, very I think at the tail end of fifth fifth edition. So, and uh, I've been playing 40k since then, and now just recently getting back into the newest edition of Age of Sigmar. Okay. Oh, also, yes, I played Age of Sigmar pretty much from the beginning, but that first year blew without points. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah, me neither. So I was really reluctant to play the first year, but since they've gotten points, I'm I'm on board. And uh, Alex refuses to play Age of Sigmar. Yeah, no, uh, death before dishonor. I'm bitches, sorry. Bitches will be bitches. That's yeah. right. 
Well, at least I'm not bending over, so. Okay, so um, how did GW act when we first started? Um, Matt, you are the... Orig- you've been playing the longest, I think you said, right? Yeah, so I, I said I started Fantasy in early 2000s and uh, was not, honestly, was was uh, there was a Games Workshop store when, when I lived in L.A. that was just around the corner, and that's kind of where I got started, but uh, they were very... Uh, I don't know, elitist, I guess, would be the word to say. If you didn't have 2,000 points, you weren't allowed to come play. Like, on a Wednesday night, everything had to be painted. It was very, you know, very um, very strict. And in, in when I finally got to a point I could play, I played twice there. No one wanted to teach me, you know. very, very It was very competitive, <laughs> and you know. So, fortunately, what... And actually, the good thing was it pushed me away from there, and I found a local game store that was much more accommodating and, uh, you know, had a younger crowd. So, we ended up teaching some of the kids and stuff like that so it was it was a much better environment okay um so i didn't have a good initial impression of games workshop honestly <laughs> all right uh what about you uh, lore master alex well i started playing i, I remember it. it was at a king sports layer it was a store back in the day in rehoboth beach mm-hmm. i was good friends with the owner and uh, he's the one who uh i always used to see the models and i was like man that's really cool and he's like well if you want they have that the starter set and this is the old third edition starter set that came with a actual full rule book in it hmm. and then like little like miniature codexes for the black templars and for the uh dark eldar that came in the uh, box set yeah and um i remember butchering that set building it but it was a lot of fun and uh i didn't even get to play with them i ended up collecting tau after that but, you know, my experiences with Games Workshop really didn't evolve until about, like, 4th and 5th edition. That's when I first went to Games Workshop. And it was a different dynamic. They were really always pushing you to buy stuff. You mean to Game Shop, Games Workshop stores? Yeah, I always used to go to, like, independent stores and things like that. And, you know, back then, the big problem I always had was that it took them so damn long to release new codexes. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I remember playing with, you know, the Tau Empire... And I was getting my butt handed to me because Blood Angels just came out then. And the Blood Angels were murdering. Even with the new Tau Codex that I ended up buying eventually, I was still losing. So I ended up stopping and started to collect Blood Angels because of that. Hmm. Okay, so um, in my opinion, uh, when I started in 5th edition 40k, um, I started with Necrons. And I had a... The only Codex for Necrons was a 3rd edition Codex which was pretty irritating because all the models were older. They had come out with no new models, you know, for what, like 10 years or something. And Tau at the time were playing with like a 10-year-old codex. And also Eldar, I think, were playing with a 10-year-old codex. So um, I'm sure they weren't the only ones, but those are the ones that I knew of. And, um, you know, we had the old uh, We'll Be Back, the uh, phase out and everything, which just sucked. Do you remember that, Matt? No, I think I didn't play. That's that's Like I said, I showed up right at the end of 5th edition. But if I could just add... A little bit uh kind of a different experience and you guys complaining about the codex in fantasy going from sixth to eighth playing i used to play vampire counts and the problem was they came out for each edition a brand new codex and vampire counts was the first one out of the gate so i was stuck immediately like and got the a, codex I, creep right i got a new codex everything is different tried to keep up couldn't they changed the rules and by the time we got to eighth edition i felt it was very hoardy but 40. but zombie hordes just weren't as effective 
as as they used to be because they nerfed they needed to nerf but they nerfed them too hard yeah um and and there was no compromise there that's that's why i pretty much left and and that's what pushed me to go to 40k i just didn't like where fantasy was going and didn't feel like trying to keep up yeah and my big bone of contention too is right around fifth edition sixth edition for both games really it it you would see that they started ramping up their release dates and then they would release these codexes that were half-baked. You know, they weren't fully tested. They weren't good to go. And then they're like, oh, well, get the fact online for it. And you could just print out the fact and stick it in your codex. Well, what about how many how many models didn't even exist? Yeah. They'd release, like, it was like a quarter of the units didn't even have a model they sold for. Oh, it. they'll be releasing next month. So you can then buy all the models that released this month. Like, they basically were trying to bleed you for money. And that was my biggest complaint back then was that, you know, I guess whoever took over for the company just changed the whole dynamic of the company. And they were just literally bleeding the fans and then turning around and then kicking the fans in the teeth when they had complained about not being able to afford it. Well, that was, a, that was the final complaint for me. I think in 8th edition was, like I said, the, the average game it was kind of put down in the old fantasy was 2,000 points. Everybody played 2,000. That's kind of what you expected in the environment I was in. And then the new edition... Everything jumped up that 3,000, even said the book, 3,000 was, was the average. And, of course, that bumped up. And they had a lot more rules for, for wider wider unit bases and things of that nature. So I, I just felt like they wanted to sell more models. And it kind of forced you, like, hey, I got a block of 20. Now I need a block of 30 plus, yep. you know, to, to even be competitive even in a casual game. Because you would just run into hordes that were just, just rolling over you. Um, and I said, I just, at that point, I was like, I was not motivated to, you know, upgrade that army it was better to find a new army and just start over from scratch but then i ended up getting a 40k so what you're saying is they were trying to push more and more sales of models to their own detriment i, I kind of feel like that's what pushed fan because if you notice fantasy numbers in eighth edition went down that's why age of sigmar finally came up out of the ashes of that yeah I, th I think they they fully saturated and they pushed everybody to a point they were like no we're not gonna buy i don't need you know vampire counts everybody played with a block of 40 40 um Zombies? Well, uh, Graveguard. Oh. Every time you went, a block of Graveguard, which toughness four with the shield to up save. I mean, that was, nobody wants to chew through that. Mm -hmm. But everybody had it. You know, so I think you get to, and they were they were still the metal models, and you were getting two in a pack. Oh, so, God. <laughs> yeah. I, I think they literally got to a point where people were like, I, I don't feel like buying that. I don't want to put, I don't want to invest that time and money. Wow. You know, so um, I, I, I really think that was kind of part of why, it, why fantasy just hit that decline, where they just, they had squeezed everybody to the point they didn't want to, you know, put the time and the money into it to, to make these these horde armies. Uh, I mean, of course, it's my opinion, but that's the vibe I got. I know personally, I know a couple other guys got out for that same reason. OK, just... so that seems a little eerily reminiscent of what they're doing with 40K now. Yes. Where there's hordes or everything. Monsters yes. could be, you know, two last cannons. Oh, my tank's gone. You know, but two last cannons can kill what? Two gaunts? Like, that's kind of yeah. nuts. Because wounds don't spill over. And, and so. honestly, just having this conversation, thinking about it, is that there's there's not a good, there's never been I uh, my I see it now is that there's not been a good compromise. There were either you know fifth edition when I showed up, you have a good tank and armor, it was getting busted first turn. Mm -hmm. You know now everything has hit points and things of that nature, but with stratagems and that and horde armies are just rolling through. It's like how do you stop it? And and I I almost feel like they're going to the game's going to escalate to a point where people just aren't going to be able to keep up. Like you said, with stratagems and everything, um, it's a lot of homework. Yeah, it's it's excessive. Like, I just started playing Astro Militarum. Um, 
you know, with that, you know, that whole thing, it's I'm now trying to relearn this army, and there's so many different things you have to remember. There's stratagems. There's regimental doctrines. There's orders. There's how many orders each person can give. You know, everything in between, and then you have like heirlooms of conquest and everything else. It gets it's too much at a certain point. It kind of feels like a trick. Like it came out and they were like, oh, we're going to streamline the rules. And everyone was like, yes. And you read them and you're like, great. I mean, I'm not a big rule guy, like paperwork and things of that nature. I like to get models to play. So you're like quick rules. I like it. Uh-huh. But now I'm like, I got to remember all my stratagems. Then I'm playing, say I'm playing a new army that I, I've never played before. And then all of a sudden it's like, technically they're not cheating, but I feel that they are. Cause everything I do, Hey, I got a stratagem to stop this. Yes. And I took 30, I have 30 command points. And then you're like, well, uh, you have to learn. There's so much more to learn. And there's so many more, you know, hey, we got this cake. And you don't know there's 17 layers in it. You know? <laughs> One of those cake layers is roast beef, which is just disgusting. Yeah, so <laughs> that's exactly. But, you you know, I, I continually find surprises and they're not like fun surprises, you know. You like know, I learned about the strategy of Grenadiers with Pimcron. Uh-huh. Um, another another example, uh, we were playing a Tyranid player and uh, he was coming up with his Gaunts. And it was two against one, and me and my my partner, we were both, you know, shooting this unit of guns because it was closest. And as we wear it down, uh, he tells us, you know, we were looking at time. We we're like, well, we got this to take care of. And he goes, well, I have a stratagem that I will be able to bring them all back at full strength. Yeah. So you spend a turn and a half trying to kill these guns, and all of a sudden he tells me, I have a stratagem to do that with two points. So when we destroy it, he's just going to bring it back. I suddenly do the math, and I'm not very good at math, but I know if it comes back on the table, we're not going to win this game. Yeah. And it just, to, to me, it's almost like you've, you've just defeated the purpose we've set up. We're playing, I'm trying to take out the units. That's kind of the basics of the rules. Hey, I got to shoot your units off the table. You have to shoot mine or objectives. But if you tell me I'm just going to bring them back, it kind of makes the mission a little futile. So what about the uh, one of the things that I don't like about this edition personally is that everything is reliant on an FAQ and almost weekly FAQ. So like the Imperial Guard Codex comes out and then like two weeks later, oh, here's new points for him. And I'm like, oh, so yes. now I'm going to write in my brand new book. Like, didn't you know this? Didn't didn't something cross between the the development of the book and the FAQ? Like you think somebody would go, oh, wait a second. Let's change this ahead of time. And I've run into uh, that's another thing. Are we playing FAQ? And you have to say, well, I, and the answer is either yes, or I'm sorry, I have not had a chance to read that FAQ. Yes. Or beta uh, rules. Or beta, or... And yeah. Now the beta rule seems like a whole new thing. Somebody told me the, about the new deep strike rules and I'm like, I was not familiar with them. I was like, well, I'm not familiar with them. Are they beta rules? Then someone else, another game said, oh, I don't bother playing beta rules. <laughs> so then you got to go, you know, do we need a 20 minute before we start like a contract? Okay. We're going to not play beta rules. Uh, we're going to read the FAQ. And we're going to use the old point costs because I already have that in my book and I haven't looked yes. at the new ones. Okay, let's play. Yeah. You know, it, it's just there's there's many layers now in, in what's supposed to be a simple system, but it's it, it's, it's kind of like the terms of terms of uh, a contract for terms of use. Nobody reads that. Yeah. And it's very long and it's very, you know, detailed about a bunch of stuff that, you know, is trade with China and things like that that you don't care about. Mm-hmm. But when you're playing a game like this and you've got to read all that minutia, it feels like homework to me. No, I agree. Like, you know, I have to sit down and make an army. Oh, and I got to look, what strategy am I going to use? Do I have my, my cards? Do I have this? And it's... I often talk with just James about this. And, you know, we used to know back in really fifth, sixth and seventh edition, 
we knew pretty much all the stats of every unit of every army. We had it all down pat, and we knew if we're facing this army, oh, I know exactly what that is, and, and this is their toughness, and this is whatever. And in 8th edition, I haven't even really bothered to learn. Like, all the different armies, all the stratagems, well, it, all the artifacts, all, you know, it's it, like... It, and for me, and, you know, I'm an older dude too, but it feels it feels a little overwhelming. Like, the old editions, yeah, you could play somebody a couple times and, and learn. Like, oh, I know what that unit does. Now you're like, I know what that unit does, but I also have to know what two stratagems are typically used with that unit. Yeah. You know, like the first thing, Cultus was a big one, when the whole Tide of Traitors. You mm-hmm. play that, and you could always bring the Tide of Traitors... On the other hand, using it, I used it like once or twice. I didn't even feel good about using it because you're like you shot. I have 29 cultists. You're on the table, just gonna bring them back. But they FAQ'd it, which yeah, you know, which they, is once per which, game, I think. Yeah, now. but at, at the same time, it's like and yeah, it should be. Yeah, and speaking of the the um the <clears throat> excuse me, the, use your words. Yeah, the words. Uh, the Gaunt's uh, stratagem that you were talking about, where they could just come back next turn. I'm pretty sure they actually fact that. And um, maybe they did. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know the guy you're talking about. I guarantee you, he didn't look at the fact. He just wanted to use what was in the book. Yeah, but so it's it's, it's weird how GW has gone from they never they absolutely vehemently never issued FAQs for like 20 years. They said, look, this is the way it is in the rule book. Take it how you want. We don't care. We're a quote unquote miniatures company. We're not a game company. And now all of a sudden we've got basically text message FAQs. Like it, GW is like a needy girlfriend now. The, like other, a, and the other way I liken it too, and I mean I've been I've been role playing since like eighty one with D and D, but I feel like and I've noticed systems and the stuff the tabletop tabletop stuff has started to reflect MMOs and role-playing games online, just the way, like, they, they play. And I feel like, especially this edition of Warhammer, feels like a really slow MMO, where MMOs, they'll patch the game, and they'll put new stuff out. Yeah. Players will play it, they'll break it, they fix it. And and the problem with this is that, you know, it's easy to do in, in a computer game. You're kind of by yourself. You know what your character does. You mm-hmm. can, and you're you not know, investing hundreds of dollars You're not models. investing here. With this, it's like, hey, here's the new rule book, and they go out immediately and, you know take these stratagems, abuse them and go, Oh, well that was, that was not how we intended. Here's an FAQ for it. And you kind of go, well, I, I bought, you know, and people go out, you know, tied to traders was everybody was like buying cultists. Hey, I got 450 cultists that I can bring back, you know, and it's and hard to fault them all then, that though. No, 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 I no. Mean, I'm I, from a business. Like they, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, it's, it's just an observation. And, yeah. but the problem is, is like it, it's too slow a process. Unlike a video game where you, you don't have the, the, the money, financial investment and the time mm-hmm. as as much um and what even scares me more and the cynic in me wants to say is maybe that was all part of games workshops grandmaster plan they wanted you to buy all these cultists up for the for that ability so one they would get rid of dead stock and then go oh well in the faqs they're not nearly as powerful anymore <laughs> yeah. these guys though are a lot more powerful you should buy them and that's the cynic in me, because mind you, I've been playing since 3rd edition, which means that I've seen Games Workshop start out with, oh, we're not going to release anything new for you know years upon time. And then when 5th and 6th, it was like every other week there was a new codex. And it was each codex was more overpowered than the last codex. The creep was bad for 6th or 7th edition. Yeah. What's going on, I feel, I feel like where this this is heading is that everything just and you see the age of sigmar too with nagash coming back and you just have all these giant monsters and all these giant models and everything magnus so, so much but yeah the primers coming back well it's cool i i mean the primarchs i think are in a in a casual game are overpowered 
Yeah. You know, you hear it all the time. Oh, yeah, I played a guy. He brought Mortorian and killed me in second turn. Yeah. you know, and, you know, there's always that argument of competitive and casual and, and where do you meet in the middle. You know, I'm and sure some people are like, oh, dude, just build a list to, to, to do better. And I'm like, I just don't want to have to fight that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's also, to me, it's not fun. And the saying building the list, that's easy. That's time. But you also got to look <clears> at how much money are you going to sink in? If you don't, if you're working on a set budget, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. You, know, you, you look at a set budget, you're talking at least to expand that budget is an additional $200, $300. I know most people, you're most likely going to have to sell a kidney to make that kind of money. Because I know most people don't have that kind of money lying around to throw into the hobby. Okay, I see what you're saying. But what if there is a flip side to this? Maybe GW, they always claim to be casual players, right? They yeah. don't like the tournament scene, et cetera, et cetera. What if they're just trolling the competitive players and making them, you know, dangling the carrot and going, hey, buy this unit, it's awesome. Whoops, next week it's not. You know what I mean? Well, and, and now, meanwhile, the casual yeah. players, you're going to have your regular army that you play regardless of whether it's good or not. I owned 40 flayed ones when they blew. Like, now they're pretty good. But, like, I so own them. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Your man flayer, you always call <laughs> My man flayer. And um, so, I mean, I often thought that, like, I got the biggest kick mm -hmm. when um, Steve, uh, this is like the end of 5th edition, beginning of 6th, they did an FAQ where flamers of Zinch were like AP3 and all this nonsense. And Steve, along with a bunch of competitive people, went out and bought 30 flamers. And then, like, I don't know if it was, I think it was, then the Codex came out for 6th edition. And they were not at all what they were, and he was all mad, and of course that tickled me because yeah. I'm like, well, you bought them just because you're an ass, basically. Yeah, and now you're getting fun well, yeah. because of it. I mean, put yourself in in Gage Workshop's shoes, you know, uh, like like Alex said earlier, and it makes sense. You got a, a models that are overstocked. No, nobody's buying these. Why why are they not yeah. buying them? Hey, we got a new codex. Let's breathe new life into it. Well, how does we do that? Well, we're going to to sell them. Like I, you you would be foolish to to be naive to think that Games Workshop is not doing that because yeah. they want to make money and they they've got to move product that's that's just but in a way they're trolling know. the competitive but, players but they are and you know that's and you know i think current this current edition is going to slowly push away the casual players it's just I, I feel like it's it's harder and harder to just find a casual game where you're like oh what am i gonna face yeah oh, it feels like with 40k not to cut you off i apologize but i am gonna cut you off i will cut you um, <laughs> physically please don't threaten me with a good time um, the big thing I've noticed is with 40k, they are really are pushing the compet like the non-competitive players away from 40k and then saying, oh, but there's Age of Sigmar. And I've noticed with a lot of the new releases for Age of Sigmar, look at the quick to build, easy to assemble, easy to paint. Well, you know, I, I think that all that is, is that Age of Sigmar was kind of if you read the initial rules for 40K, they feel very similar to Age of Sigmar. Mm -hmm. But now I think they realize how successful the easy the easy build kits and how they marketed that that first, you know, with the Primus Marines and all that, with the, uh, the Death Guard and all that. It would make sense. Hey, that was really successful 40K. Let's bring it back around to Age of Sigmar. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they just, they didn't have that in place when they came out with Age of Sigmar. I don't yeah. feel like they're pushing Age of Sigmar as, a, as an alternative. Um it doesn't quite have the strategy and stuff, but I, I see the, the, the pool will be muddied eventually. I kind of, I like the old editions of fantasy with the big blocks of troops and just the kind of pushing. And, yeah, and I felt, I, really I felt do. there was, there was more tactics with that and was always hesitant. A couple times I played 40 K I was just like, yeah, it's just, you know, it wasn't, wasn't really a fan. And Sigmar now feels more like 40 K. It does. Absolutely. Than 40 K does to, to fantasy. But and I miss old fantasy, which is why I'm, I'm one of the, I'm like one of the lone, 
the Lone Rangers out of our group that refuses to even look at Age of Sigmar because I remember Warhammer Fantasy. I remember all the fun. I, mean, I remember Pepperidge Farm remembers. A Pepperidge Farm remembers. <clears throat> I remember my Dwarven Slayer murdering your Vampire Lord first game, Matt, like first round, and then just slowly watches your army crumbles as you're trying to take out blocks of dwarves. Oops, yep. I just fell. Um, so, okay. So, at this juncture, we've done a lot of GW bashing, um, but... Ultimately, you don't hate this edition, right? No, honestly, I actually really do like what Games Workshop has been doing. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of the stuff that you've noticed with them doing, you know, making stuff a little more accessible at some points, but also kind of tricking you into getting into the game. But what I like is that it is more accessible. It's less expensive as it used to be. They actually do have deals with the getting started or start collecting. Yeah, the start collecting. They, they after they kind of fixed that. Oh debacle. yeah, the, the start collecting is insane. Like you, you know, if but you, they if you, never. If, if you calculate the models that are in it, it's it would like I need. Uh, I'm playing the Caldron Overlords, uh-huh. and the start collecting has a gunstock, gun hauler, some some blazed like thunderers and a couple other things i need i need five more thunderers to make a 10 a group of 10 it's cheaper for me to buy that get started just for them and have the extra models than it would be to just buy five <laughs> which are like 80 dollars. so now, that's insane that's another thing though um not to go off with this recap of the show but um <laughs> you know they never did that before that's no. a new thing too oh, no, they no. never gave a discount period do you remember when they used to do the um the bundles on their website, like, oh, here's a one-click bundle, and you do the math, and it's the exact just retail cost. Actually, it's more when you take into account the taxes and stuff that they're going to slap you with. Well, I'm just saying, like, well, they would they would take all these separate things, bundle them together, and you think, oh, that's a good deal, probably. Mm-hmm. You do the math. No, it's not. So, I don't know. They've had a, a long and... Um, so, I'm, I'm hopeful, but being the massive cynic that I am, I am waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm waiting for this CEO or whoever it is to retire. They bring in another guy who is just a megalomaniac. And next thing you know, they're going to start jumping the shark with, they're going to raise the prices up again, cut the models that you're going to get in the box in half again, and then start basically going back on what, like basically stepping backwards instead of going forwards. Okay. My overall thought is that I do like this edition best ever all of them. I think the armies are generally speaking pretty balanced. There's no like, you know, crazy Eldar towel combinations like there used to be. And I am cautiously optimistic. I'm hoping that this really is good guy GW and I hope they've turned over a new leaf. Um, and I do not hate the game despite how much bashing we're doing of it. We're just grieving, uh, airing grievances. What about you? Matt? Uh, I agree with what you guys said. Uh, I know it does sound like we bashed it a lot. And this, like I said, it was projections, but that said, I do think this is one of the more balanced editions for just, I, I find more games, they're always closer. Sometimes they look like they're not going to be, but you still manage to have a, a closer game. I'd rather lose a close game than win an overpowered game. Yeah. So uh, all in all, I'm happy with thing with the overall edition, you know, just some things. Okay. Well, I think that is it for Real Talk with the Pimp Cron. Thank you both for being on. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Let's get brutal. And it is that time again for Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron. Tonight, I wanted to return a bit more to the lore and the backstory of brutality because we've been kind of off kilter for a while. We talked about uh, drinking fermented uh, menstrual blood in one episode. That was a hoot, I gotta tell you. That was a real hoot. And people really did that in the cults of Ishtar in real human history. So 
Don't even think that I'm some weirdo that came up with that because I didn't. Okay. Um, so I wanted to actually start going into Realm Book 1, which is our first supplement for Brutality, and talking about the um, uh, the Wastes. So this is a region in the southwest of the map where you can see there's some volcanoes and things like that. And um, it's the southwest of the continent. It's just north of the Psychotropics. And it's a, it's a land rich in decay and abundant in loss. And in this area, there's four main biomes and... Um, they give this place their name because they're all kind of wasted. And uh, the first one would be The Blur. The second one is Ashlands. The third one is The Once Was. And the fourth one is Swords Break. So we will be covering The Blur tonight, which is pretty interesting to me at least. We'll see what you think. It's a land that is all completely blurred out of any color. Like there's um, transparent you know, foliage and everything is white or like a a pale sandy color and there's very little like big foliage or anything like that and there's a reason behind it so let's dig into that um all people of the land know of uh Crenell and his epic battle and the story of his tragic fall when he tried to um oppose Ishtar and the blur still bears the scars of that battle with Ishtar uh, the land was once, like many others, covered with rolling grassy hills and lush green foliage, but all that changed in the titanic climax of their battle between Crenell and Ishtar. The battle was airborne at that point, and directly over this region when Crenell and Ishtar turned their magics on each other, and the entire world shuddered, the entire dimension shook when they hit each other. And that's how powerful Crenell was, is that he could actually rival Ishtar. And everything was washed out in a tidal wave of light, and millions of denizens were killed instantly in the blast. Anybody that was anywhere near this region was instantly killed. And of course they come back, but um, in the aftermath of this clash, the people discovered the land and everything in it was stripped of all color. Plants and animals were forever changed um, in colors that ranged from transparent all the way to white in this newly scorched land. And the soil turned to a bleach, grainy substance similar to salt. And being in this place for extended periods of time is known to blind travelers. So walking through a land where nothing has pigment can cause what they call the blur effect, which makes it very hard to distinguish one thing from another. And predators in this area capitalize on that feature. So there's crystal clear trees with shimmering leaves. There's wispy gray grasses and rolling white hills. And that make this area both a spectacle and a hazard to the eyes. And you see why it would be called the blur. If nothing has any pigment, you know, many things are clear and pretty much everything is white, then it's very hard to distinguish anything. Um, another harsh effect of this uh, bleached out place is um, the fact that um, people who are not clothed in white cloth or have very pale complexion stand out dramatically. So you can see somebody from very far away if they have any color that isn't white or cream colored on them. And um, even though this area is quite temperate, most people who live there completely cover themselves completely in white and cream toned clothing to minimize the risk of being seen. That's just their kind of their camouflage in this area. And that definitely will help. Um, one of the chief crops of this place, believe it or not, is the prized salt like spice called crust. And um, it can be found and harvested in pockets and veins underground. And has one of it, it's one of the pillars of income for the cartel known as Efren's Consortium, which of course we've mentioned many times. And uh, this is one of their huge cash truck crops that they do. And um, this unique mineral has many uses due to its uh, brain-altering attributes. There's a well-known rhyme about crust to keep in mind if you want to use it. And uh, the rhyme goes like this: One 
One crust sprinkle will brighten your food. Two little sprinkles can loosen your mood. Three pulls out what you shouldn't tell. Four of those sprinkles will send you to hell. And uh, that pretty much explains it. Uh, there's no wonder why crust is so popular with everyone from torturers to chefs in the ether realm. And what starts out as a mild flavor enhancer can quickly turn into a deadly neurotoxin that makes a lightning storm in your brain. And minutes drag by, uh, like hours, as every synapse in your brain fires in unison and you break all of your teeth by clenching down in violent spasms. And by the time that the blood runs out of your eyes and you've bitten through your own tongue, you finally pass away to be reborn where you last woke up from sleep. So if that sounds like a party to you, I don't think I want to party with you, basically. And uh, we've reached our limit for tonight, so this is the beginning of talking about the Wastes, which is a region in the Aether Realm, and the Blur, we're about halfway through talking the Blur. And um, the Blur is a very interesting place to me, and it's one of many, many, many interesting places. We're just about done with uh, supplement number two, which covers the Psychotropics, which is awesome. And that also has between four and six regions in that region as well. So... I guess I will catch you next week. I appreciate you listening to us. I really do. If you feel like uh, supporting us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash pimpcron. And if you don't, well, you know, we'll get you eventually, hopefully. Hopefully you enjoy the show, and hopefully we are entertaining you every week. So, with all of that, I appreciate you listening, and we will see you next Monday.